It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Good afternoon. Good Friday afternoon. This is The Call. Ten companies picked by you, two expert guests, one hour. Friday, the 23rd of June. It's great to be here with you and also good to be here in studio with Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital, who's hey joining there. us, and Claude Walker from A Rich Life, who is joining us via remote. Okay, guys, so this is another week in which we've seen big, wild swings, although it looks as if we could end the five trading sessions in positive territory. Claude, have you been making any big moves with your portfolio this week? Uh G'day, Nadine. Uh, no, I haven't been making any big moves. I have just taken a quick look here, just been uh, very, very slightly nibbling at, I guess, some of those um, higher quality um, growth companies. You know, of course, um, I'm quite into investing in software companies and stuff like that. A lot of them have been hit, hit down a fair way. So I've um, just been doing some tiny, tiny nibbling um, over the last couple of weeks, really. And that sort of re that remains the case really like i just because it's actually really nice today to see a bump on all of those names but um yeah i wouldn't say the pain is necessarily over there, there tends to be like rallies in during a bear market and i suspect this is one of them yeah what do you think we found a bottom or it's too early to call it it's too early to call it for sure um it's a very interesting market i mean you know commodities have rolled off pretty hard yeah. um yields as well and so um that's the market i think signaling a recession um you look at where valuations have, have come down to. Um, I think valuations on, on markets are signalling that as well. So um, we haven't seen that come through in the earnings yet. Most updates have been okay. Um, there's been, you know, some some specific factors around supply chains and, and I think retailers and discretionary are struggling for, for some obvious reasons. But, you know, broad-based, we haven't seen it come through in the earnings yet, but the market's predicting that will come. Um, like Claude, I haven't been, you know, like ever, I wish I had more cash going into this. So, you know, with what I've got nibbling away, um, I think these broad-based sell-offs also give you the opportunity to rebalance portfolios. You know, when everything's been sold off, you can sort of, you know, exit the lesser conviction stuff and, and top up your higher conviction stuff because everything's sort of been mm -hmm. sold off um, to, to the same degree. So, yeah, too early to call it bottom, but, you know, it has been a good week. And, and I think there's some signals that, you know, that, that intense volatility may be slowing down anyway. Well, look, I think nibbling has, you know, officially entered the vernacular. And I think it started <laughs> here. You heard it here first, as they say. Uh, the companies we'll be discussing that you've nominated, Swoop, Zero, Aerometrics, Carbon Revolution, and Pro-Medicus, we've got the team for that one. But uh, to start with, the stock of the day, we're really leaning into the small caps theme this Friday, is Diverger as the stock of the day. So the financial services provider is eyeing off Centerpoint Alliance, Centerpoint Alliance to increase its marking share. So it's put a bid of more than $30 million on the table, plus Diverger stock on offer. So what do our experts make of the deal? And I guess in general, sort of the potential for more M&A activity in that area of the small cap universe. Claude, can I start with you, Diverger? Sure, yeah. So I should disclose I own shares in Diverger. Um, 
and I'm surprised to see it being acquired. Uh, I thought the shares of Diverger are really cheap. Uh, they uh, trade on a dividend yield of around four to five percent, and or maybe four and a half percent, I think, at the moment. And uh, you know, a PE ratio of probably like 10, 10 to fifteen, if you're looking at the FY 2022, or at least my best guess at it. And um, so it sort of like owned that as like a bit of a value stock. Uh, got some, you know, reasonable um, businesses in there. It's a combination of, I guess, financial advice style businesses, but also um, more importantly, just providing that back end to financial advice, financial advisors. So, um, and also um, accountants. So we're talking about, um, you know, basically the training and the, and the worksheets and the and the all the kind of. Um, materials that they might need to use uh, to maintain their professional standing and also to do their day-to-day, run their day-to-day business practice notes and, and the like. So I like that aspect of it. And so I guess uh, this potential takeover makes sense. Now, it's not a, it's not a done deal. I think that they, they've got a right to 19% of um, CAF, but you know that doesn't mean the whole deal is going to get done. And uh, basically, it, it would make at least some sense from the point of view of if they add a whole bunch of financial advisors and stuff, then you know, presumably they can they can start using their backend services to to supply them and support them. So that would be a positive. There's some vertical integration advantages there. On the other hand, as a shareholder, I'm a little more sanguine at the, at the thought of um, issuing a whole bunch of shares to pay for an acquisition when I already consider the shares to be cheap. Uh, generally not the kind of play I would like to see is issuing cheap shares. I'd probably actually prefer a company to be buying back cheap shares. So yeah, not, not feeling super excited about that aspect of it and definitely concerned if, if, it, if they try and they take a swing and a miss and there's a whole bunch of distraction and, and it doesn't come through. But, you know, also if it does come through, you're going to have a significantly bigger company. There's going to be some vertical integration. And one of the reasons that I think Diverger is cheap is because it's so small, so under the radar, so liquid, nobody cares about it or looks at it. So just it getting bigger could actually have a benefit, um, especially, you know, once if even when we get through this tough cycle, you know, a lot of financial advisors have left the market. These guys will be one of the bigger players remaining there um, that could put them in a strong position for good earnings growth. And then they will be a bigger company. They'll probably catch the eye of more um, investors. So once we get into a bull market, I could definitely see it re-rating. So not a terrible idea. Definitely waiting and watching. But no no clear verdict from me about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing yet. Well, you know, good, bad. Luke, I'll ask you the same question, mm. but could it also be complicated by some other company coming in with a counteroffer for CenterPoint? Um, for sure. Uh, it, it's a very, it's a very complicated, uh, a lot of complicating factors to this. And, and I've had a very interesting looking over it today. So, um, you know, I used to work for an advisory business and, and I can see the appeal that um, Diverger, Centrepoint, these businesses have because you have advisors who just want to help their clients, but they just get beaten down with red tape and compliance. And so um, you come in, you, you take all that back office compliance stuff off them, um, and then it becomes a game of scale because that's you know, not fixed costs, but you can definitely get leverage over that. And so a tie up like this to take what would be maybe the third and fourth biggest players in the market, um, you get some real scale behind it. I can definitely see the the um, the appeal of of, of making a, an offer like this, um, but to to dig into a few things that Claude mentioned, this is a smaller business trying to take over a larger one. You don't see that very often. It's it's normally the other way around, um, and it's also the um, the business trading on a lower valuation using script to take over a business on a higher valuation, which which Claude was alluding to. So I actually wonder whether this is in the best interests of everybody. And, and if, if the idea is to have these two businesses come together, 
is it better off using the Centerpoint Alliance script, but being more higher valued, um, you, you would have less of it. Um, you also have Hub owns a big chunk of Diverger and Clearview Wealth owns a big chunk of, um, of, of Centerpoint Alliance. I, I don't really know what their views would be on this. They're obviously there for some strategic alliance to be close to an advisor network. Um, you know, would they just, would they support any sort of takeover? I guess so, um, but, but hard to know. Um, and, and then my big one, as to Claude sort of alluded to, I think this is one where I could see maybe egos coming into it. If, if this doesn't go through at first, it could really drag on, um, mostly because of the way it's been structured, going through Thorny with a call option. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very aggressive method to try and get, not control of the business, but a stake where Centrepoint has to listen to you closely. So I, I agree with Claude, just watch it. I think if this happens smoothly, I would really take a close look at this business because you're getting some real scale into a business that needs scale. Um, but as it stands today, I would just I would just watch how this all plays out because there's a lot of moving parts to it, for sure. So stand back and watch this one happen. So Claude, are you holding on to Diverger though? Uh, yeah, definitely not taking any action right now. Like as it stands, I still think the stock is cheap, but that, that I don't think this will blow up the business. But I I definitely think that there's more risk in it trying to pull off something of this scale for sure. Yeah, you sound a bit uh, flat over this mm. one to say the least, Claude. All right. Um, yeah. Let's get to the companies that have been nominated by our viewers. The first one is coming from David, and it is for Swoop. SWP is the ticker code. I'll start with you, Luke. Um, yeah, so this listed um, a couple of years ago, and I think the market loves pattern recognition. So we had Unity Wireless come to the market. It was like all the all the guys that were like Xfocus, Amcom, M2, um, you know, jump into Unity and just re redo that playbook of acquiring and building out an asset. Um, and then Swoop comes along, it's a very similar thing. You've got James Spensley there, um, the managing director is ex-Superloop. So you, you're bringing these resumes together. They know the industry, they know how to roll it up. Um, it just hasn't been the right market for them, obviously. Uh, market sold off quite heavily. Stock's been hit pretty hard. Um, looking at it today, 100 mil market cap, it's pretty well capitalized, 40 mil cash in the bank, um, plenty of debt to continue that roll up strategy. Um, they're probably getting some assets for cheaper than what they were potentially looking at a few months ago, which is nice. Um, it's not, it's not as good as Unity Wireless though. Um, these guys are doing fixed wireless towers and dark fiber networks. They're mm -hmm. decent infrastructure assets, but a large part of the revenue and the earnings come from your lower margin, more competitive, just consumer facing business of, of running a telco. So that's not the sort of business I think the market loves. I mean, Unity, the reason why Unity was priced so highly and chased by private equity and, and, um, and, and superannuation funds, it's that pure infrastructure play that those guys love. Whereas these guys give you some of it, but um, you know, there's, there's still that, um, the other side of the business. Um, look, I, I actually, it's come off such a long way. It, it was one I sort of thought to myself, I'm going to go back and have another look at this after you know taking a brief look this morning. Um, so I would say a hold because you know if you're there, I, I didn't see anything that you would panic other than the share price. <laughs> Any of the technical guys coming on would probably say sell straight away looking at that. Um, but from a fundamental point of view, I didn't see anything that would warrant you know to, to panic with this business. Um, they're guiding for 12 mil EBITDA now. There's some heavy investment there, so from a free cash point of view, it's probably still negative. But um, as I said, plenty of cash in the bank, plenty of debt facilities. I'm not worried about liquidity by any means. Um, so yeah, I, I came away and thought to myself, I'll, I'll take another look at this business. It's, it's come off a very long way in the last few months, and um, I think it looks quite interesting. Is it interesting to you, Claude? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's that interesting. No, I, I actually agree with most of like what Luke said. I think I'm a little bit. Uh, too old for micro telco roll-up stories like uh, the point about pattern recognition is really good like but I think that the overall pattern of telco roll-up stories on the ASX if you zoom out long enough is like, mostly it 
ends in tears. Um, maybe not tears, but, you know, usually there's a bit of a cycle to these things. So although um, you can definitely make money from them if you buy them at the right price when it's cheap, especially if you buy at a time when um, they're sort of around a profitability or free cash flow inflection point, that can be really good. Uh, but I don't think uh, Swoop's really there, not in terms of actual profitability uh, and free cash flow. No, certainly not because they're still investing quite heavily, or at least they were in the last quarter. So yeah, probably a bit early from that perspective. And then if I were to buy Swoop, it, it would be more just for a, um, for a bit of a momentum trade or, or at least, you know, I'd, I'd go into it being like, I probably want to sell this in one or two years. These things don't tend to usually be your, I don't know of any that's like your long-term buy and hold. And for everyone that sort of works out okay, you've also got probably two that just were stacking melting ice cubes. I've used that metaphor before and, um, you know, end up going nowhere and, and just sort of build a business, but never make that much money for shareholders. Just an avoid, let's call it that. That swoop for you, David. Nancy's question is next. It's zero, she's been dipping in and out and wondering if now is a good point to start buying in. Zero is one of those companies that has been hammered in the sell-off that we've been experiencing since the beginning of the year here, particularly in tech. Now, today it's trading at $80.38 to the very moment. So good day today for Zero up by about 5%. Claude, at what level, if any, are you comfortable buying Zero? Um, so, well, I guess if I can get to that exact answer in a minute, um, I basically, uh, I own zero shares and I have done since I bought them, I think around $64 in the pandemic sell-off. And then of course I didn't buy very many and it went up really crazy prices. And I just basically held on to a small holding because it's such a high quality company. And uh, what I then did is I've been waiting for so long for it to be a um, come, come down to a more attractive price. When it started coming down to around $80 before the results, or like actually actually even below $100 before the results, I did start buying just a small amount of shares. Then what we saw more recently is that the company actually put out its results. Now they were all right. Um, it was actually great to see that the annualized monthly recurring revenue um, was up 28% year on year. So like, you know, that's pretty good organic growth. Um, and, you know, historically paying around like these prices for uh, zero based on a multiple to an annualized monthly recurring revenue, you would have done okay. So it's like sort of below the average there. But, um, or actually I think, you know, if you, you bought at $80 based on the average multiples, you'd do okay. And, and so I had bought some at $80, but then also what I found disappointing in the most recent results is A, they had some write downs and I didn't feel like that there was really an adequate mea culpa or postmortem or any kind of reflection on you know, why they're making acquisitions that then um, result in in write downs. So that just made me wonder, you know, is there some hubris going on here where they could just like a, make really big acquisitions with their cash and then they, there's just no accountability uh, if, if those acquisitions don't do very well. And then the second thing you've got to remember is that if there is a recession, which I now think is more likely than not to be a recession, obviously it's not guaranteed, um, then I think that, you know, that does at least set zero back because even though they're super like it's such a great high quality business because the zero account is like the last thing you'd cut as a small business basically. But if you have a recession and smaller businesses go out of business, then they will lose subscribers. And then, um, you know, the final th thought there is like, I just find it slightly annoying that like when they clearly could run this business at a small profit, they instead choose to run at a small loss. I just feel like, oh, come on guys, just make a tiny profit to prove you can. Um, that, that's probably more just my bugbear. The, 
there's no real criticism of them for continue to invest heavily in growth. Um, that's what they should do. But yeah, just a few little things that uh, made me a little bit less bullish uh, zero and thinking that just even the optics of it, now that it's like lost money in the last um, financial year, I feel like the share price could go lower. So as a result, I've not been buying shares at, at any more since the results, um, at least not at $80. And I'm looking for a lower price, probably like with a six in front of it at, at the least. Okay, got it. Thank you. What do you think, Luke? Um, yeah, I noted the same thing. It's about 10 times recurring revenue, which historically is okay value for, for zero. But in the grand scheme of things, that's still pretty steep. And, and you know, especially compare it to some American peers that have, have really been hit hard. Um, I agree with Claude. The latest result wasn't fantastic. The revenue growth was good, but but some some higher costs. And, um, you know, they actually did have a small profit in FY21, Claude. And I think that's where your frustration probably comes from is you would like to probably yeah. see that continue rather than swing back to a loss. Um, it's Look, it, it's too big for me. I'm a micro cap investor, but I always have it as an example of one of my higher quality businesses on the, on the ASX. And the reason why is I'm not sure whether Claude uses zero for, for a rich life, but I, I use it with Meriwether Capital. I got my email the other day saying prices are going up mm-hmm. and I did nothing about it. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, not once did it cross my mind to, to, to look for another provider um, or anything like that. So, you know, they'll have just an organic revenue growth this year from, from a pricing increase, which is, you know, that's the hallmark of a, of a quality business. Um, ultimately, I think something like this just comes down to your investing time frame. Um, it, we've had a few businesses come up when I've been on the call lately, like um, Breville was, was one the other day. Um, what else was there? Um, I think Domino's Pizza was another. Where if you're willing to take longer term views, I think these are, these are levels where you, know, you can start to enter into them and, and build a position for that longer term. Um, but that valuation is still steep. I don't think you're getting it at a, at a really cheap valuation today. Um, it's one they need to grow into over time, which is where that long-term um, philosophy needs to come from. Um, look, it's, it's a hold. I think it's a pretty classic hold. It's too high quality for me to, to say sell to someone. Um, but I sort of agree with Claude. You either want it a bit cheaper today if you're there for a shorter-term outlook. If you are a genuine long-term investor, um, I think it's one you could start to build a position in. Um, but be prepared for it to be volatile just in this market. Got it. Thank you. So this is Aerometrics next on the list, AMX for Raj. He's calling it an unloved microcap. He doesn't think the company will pass some filters at all. So he really wanted a small cap view on the company, which did present recently. So he thinks that the offering is pretty similar to Nearmap. Um, so is it a buy or is there something that he's missed? He's also pointing out that they've got cash in the bank. Luke? Um, so I own this business with Meriwether Capital. Um, it, it was sort of a, a medium sized position, but we'll put the chart up in a second. We'll see it's turned itself into a smaller one for me. Um, their, their Australian business does compete with Nearmap, um, almost an exact peer in that subscription aerial imagery space. Um, and look, it's it's doing okay, but I, I've always been apprehensive of the fact that Nearmap is that big 800-pound gorilla in the room, and they can flex their muscles if you know if they feel the need to. Um, and there's probably been signs they have been actually from a from a pricing point of view. Um, where I've sort of always um, had a good outlook for this business though is. They do some 3D imagery, um, and they've been doing that for quite a while and developed a product that um, you know, has a genuine edge over its peers in the way they capture and process. 
Um, and with the quality of that data improving and the um, engines used to view that data also improving, it just means more use cases are popping up where 3D data is replacing 2D data um, and the quality of it means more analytical tools and software can be overlaid. Um, and, and without fail, almost every business that's doing that is using Aerometrics data, which to me sort of signifies that they do have that leading product. Now, um, their results, their forecast results the other day were okay. Um, Raj, who asked the question, one thing you do need to note though is their preferred reporting metric is EBITDA, which I really don't like for this business because they, um, they amortise their capture costs when they send the planes in the air, um, which basically means by using EBITDA and, and, and um, you know, uh, emitting amortisation, you're effectively removing that cost. And that's a, that's a genuine cost to this business. They need to keep planes in the air and keep capturing to have a, um, you know, to have a business that, that operates into the future. So look at free cash flow, which is still negative. Um, I'm there, you know, even though I recognise that fact because they've got plenty of cash in the bank, I think they can, um, you know, I don't see them needing to raise capital anytime soon. Um, so they can continue their growth plans with what they have. And I think the opportunity they've got with the 3D stuff is, is where I'm interested in this business. Um, just, you know, last comment off the cuff, it's about 22 mil market cap today. That's actually pretty much liquidation value for the business, you know, about 12 mil cash in the bank. And I think they've got $11 million in um, planes on the balance sheet. So, you know, you could liquidate the business tomorrow and, and get a return. So sort of says that the market's, you know, not entirely rational with the operating business. Um, but, you know, the management need to execute, no doubt about that. Okay, so you've been in it. You've, you've I, I'm just holding it. So for the purpose of the program, I, I haven't bought any more. It looks, look, to me, it looks really interesting. It's more my position sizing that I'm yeah. holding. Um, but I mean, that a, was a pretty terrible chart. So would you wait if you're a viewer, if you're Raj, to see a turnaround? I'm not a chartist. So for me, I wouldn't wait for the chart. Oh, I'd wait, I'd wait to for come the business. Then. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I'd yeah. wait, wait for the business. Now, they're in a trading halt today, actually. So... Um, pending, um, you know, the sale yeah, of some of, their, yeah. some of their data sets. So look, you know, wait and see what that announcement is. I've obviously got my fingers crossed as a holder that it's 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 some good news. Um, but but yes, you know, um, you, I, I've been there early, and that's my style as a mm -hmm. micro cap investor. I understand the risks I take. Claude, I think, is a little bit the same with some of his holdings. Um, if you're not someone who wants that risk, of course, yeah, sit back and wait. Wait for the businesses to execute. Mm -hmm. Wait to pivot into profitability. Um, yeah. What do you think, Claude? See it any different? Uh, I, yeah, I do see it a little bit more negatively than Luke. I mean, first of all, I think my more negative um, uh, criticisms of Aerometrics would have held a lot more weight uh, when it was trading at a dollar. So it's just come a long way down. And the bit of what Luke said that I really do agree with, which is that basically that it's actually quite close to, um, you know, a conservative valuation of the business now. Now, previously, this business had been profitable i guess its business model was getting outdated because and, and this is the key point that i want to make um is that the the questioner you know compares it to near map which is not unreasonable to do but i think you've got to remember and look i'm not a massive fan of near map either but you think you've got to remember that near map is a much more uh subscription based business that has a lot more uh, scale and mature uh, maturity so if you're talking about you know this metromap product which is the main growth engine um, which is also, you know, their reason for listing was because they wanted to invest in this subscription product and be able to start competing effectively, more effectively with Nearmap in Australia. And, and I think they've been talking about going to America as well. Well, I mean, first of all, I think invest, them investing in America is, is, is a wrong idea. I don't like how global this business is when it's so not dominant in Australia. Um, and basically, the whole point is that, like, you know, a year ago, basically, they were saying, 
that they were hoping to get to break even pretty soon with Metro Maps. Well, I'm not really seeing that happen anytime. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's going to happen, and I don't think that that has happened. Certainly, you know, if, with their 2.2 2 to 2.5 normalized a bit the, at, a, at a free cash flow level, they're not, they're not break even. And so I would just sort of make the point that actually a lot of this business, the LiDAR, um, certainly the aerial photography, and I think the 3D mapping loop, you may wish to correct me on that, they're all sort of more project-based. And indeed, the trading halt um, today, they're talking about selling a data set. That sounds more like it's a probably like a one-off st style sale thing as well. So I think that their business is a lot less recurring revenue than Nearmap. And I think one of the reasons that you do see Nearmap, Nearmap trade at such a, a premium to Aerometrics is because it's a far more subscription-based business. Um, and it's got m a much bigger like collection of aerial images that they sell by subscription like that over a much broader client base in both Australia and the US. And there's just a bigger company, so small cap funds are in it and, mm -hmm. and there's room to get in and out there. So. I wouldn't compare it too closely to Nearmap. I feel like it wants to be more like Nearmap. Sounds like the bit that um, Luke's more excited about isn't so much like the bit that they've sort of advertised a little bit, which is the Metro Map thing. Okay. So, yeah, personally, I don't, I'm not super excited about it, but so I also agree it. with, I'm not going to avoid it. I'm going to call it a hold at these levels. Um, at higher levels, I would call it an avoid, but given that I actually do think it's come down a long way, this is a real business. Like, we're not in some crazy, story stock stuff this is a real business existed for many years it's looked after itself before it can do so again definitely not that bad but i'm just not super excited about it so i'd probably call it a hold got it thank you now on to the next one carbon revolution now this again is a chart that's looking pretty terrible cbr is the ticker code for carter so is there value in this company share price is down 73 percent year to date claude yeah, so this is one that I, I am less excited about. Uh, ooh, I, let me see if I've got it in front of me. Uh, so I do. Yeah, so in the last nine months, they have uh, receipts from customers of 29. So this is like selling their, their wheel resins and stuff like that for, for lightweight reel, wheels, you know. And I, the exciting story that they've told people is, you know, I guess to make cars faster, they, they can have lighter wheels. So, you know, I guess people want faster cars and also electric cars can benefit from less load there so so that's the exciting side of the story look the financials are not so exciting receipts from customers in the last nine months of 29.2 million um you know even after getting 3.8 million in government grants they still had net cash used in operating activities of 21.5 million so just the product manufacturing and operating costs that were associated in that nine months was 25.4 million the receipts were 29. 2 million. This is a very, even if you just take out the manufacturing costs, it's a very small amount of money that's coming into the company after manufacturing costs. That's before you get into admin costs of 3 million, 15.5 million on staff costs. So just the economics of it look, you know, to my mind, they look quite bad. I would not be excited by that at all. And on top of that, um, you know, I was listening to the quarterly, the most recent quarterly um, presentation that they did. And, and the CEO said uh, that COVID-19 related absenteeism is still com commanding our attention. Now, absenteeism means the practice of regulate staying away from work or school without good reason. So I don't know what's going on there, but that prompted me to look at the um, Glassdoor reviews. And you've got to look past the actual five-star reviews here. You know, even a five-star review on Glassdoor um, that, that has the, the title great 
um, from an anonymous employee on 26th of February 2022 this year at hazardous cons, no potential growth in the company. Now, I'm guessing they're talking about their career growth, but that's the five-star review. Like, let's not even get onto the one-star review, which I guess is kind of what I thought might exist when I heard him talk about absenteeism there. And I don't, that, that was a bit of a red flag to me. So, yeah, strong avoid for this one. Even though it's come down a long way, I wouldn't be interested in it. Got it. Thank you. It's an avoid. Luke, would you be buying CBR even though it's looking pretty cheap? No, it's an avoid for me too. Um, and, and one thing I was going to say with this one, if, if anyone's keen on you know building up their analytical skills, a good task to do is before you dive into the financials of a business, stop and think, what do I expect to see? And so this business does really niche, um, you know, rims, tyre rims for cars, as Claude pointed out. And their customers are like Ferrari, Porsche, mm. really, and, and the high-end models for these guys too. So when I step back and think to myself, what should I expect the financials of this business to look like? I'd expect really high-end niche manufacturing to be very high gross margin. Mm -hmm. um, but then because you're in a niche, you know, not a large addressable market, so you just extract, you know, basically the high margin from the small niche you're in. And it's the exact opposite, as Claude points out. It's, it's very, very low margin. Um, and they're trying to obviously compensate that low margin with scale and to drive revenue through it. But I just wondered, like, whether the market for this product is big enough that that scale can ever mm -hmm. come through in a meaningful way. Uh, it's, it's come on before, and, and I've made the comment that I think management have just mispriced this product in the market. Um, I, I think rather than trying to be more of a, a mass scale solution, I think they should double down on that niche where they're in, um, but really drive the, the high value, high margin with it. Um, I, I think they're in a bit of trouble, to be honest. 34 mil cash in the bank, as Claude points out, they've burned through about 50 in the first nine months. Um, I'm not sure whether they can find funding from anywhere else, but any sort of equity funding on the market with that chart, um, it's, going to be, it's going to be pretty ugly. So it's one I would, I would definitely avoid until you know, a couple of questions are probably answered. Yeah, thank you for that. And now we get to Jason's question on ProMedicus PME. No context here. Here, Claude, so I suppose the most reasonable place to start is buy, hold, sell today, given the price. Uh, yeah, so for me, it's it's still a hold. I, obviously, it's actually still one of my larger holdings. Like back, back in the day when this was a $15 stock, it was a massive holding. It was like a 40% holding for me. But it, the reason I, I love it is because of the, of the quality of the business. Uh, one of the best quality businesses on the ASX, if not, I would argue the best. Uh, however, that doesn't mean it's a buy at any price, of course. And in fact, not that long ago, we, I was talking about how I was selling it over $60. Now, the reason that it's such a good quality business, which I still think it's worth you know, mentioning basically, is that, uh, look, this is just like uh, basically for many years been proving itself as being the best product that allows radiologists to be uh, the most efficient they can be. And also, um, you know, diagnose illnesses more more efficiently so it's not just about seeing more patients but actually the algorithms that they can run on their viewer platform uh, can act so quickly that in certain times you get a better clinical outcome for patients so um doctors love it because it allows them to do better work save more lives and on top of that the the payers love it as well because radiologists are so expensive so there's natural economies um that promedicus can capture if you have you know, a radiologist who costs thousands of dollars a day, and if you can triple the number of diagnoses that that radiologist does in a day, then by making it faster for them, by having, um, you know, a better, faster platform that does more to help them, and also, you know, you know, originally the the selling point was just that 
for the competitors, you'd have to download this massive scan file and then go and make a coffee while you wait it for down to download to your computer. And you know, the way they solved that was basically allowing you to, you know, as if as it were, stream through the the files. Now, if you go um, on Netflix, you can jump to anywhere in the movie to see it. Now, it's a bit janky, and obviously, for radiologists, you can't have janky streaming. Streaming, it has to be a smooth ability to to pick up wherever they want in the file. But that was the initial sort of selling point. Now it's moving on to bigger things with, you know, AI algorithms being built that um, have limited applications mm -hmm. right now, but more and more um, helping radiologists to do things faster. So that's the, that's what you need to happen to justify it at the current prices. Now that's far from guaranteed, but they're certainly heading in the right, right direction. But for that reason, you know, um, it's not enough just to see them continuing to dominate their traditional market. What we need to do to see to start to justify a share price of $42 is like real um, uplift and revenues coming from the, I guess, algorithm side of things, mm -hmm. which it, it could totally happen, which is why I'm holding on. And I'm still I still have quite a decent holding and I, I call it a hold right now. But for me to buy, I want to get it a bit of a, a discount to that expectation. So I would need it to be lower. Um, you know, I don't want to say an exact buy price because, you know, even in the last few weeks, these guys have announced a few contract re-signings and general good news. So, you know, as, as a general rule, in the 10 years I've watched this company, it's continually getting better and, and uh, becoming more dominant in its niche. Mm -hmm. So my valuation could go up day to day, but basically at the moment, I'm still looking something at the low 30s before I'd probably be buying more. Got it. Thank you, Luke. Uh, just a buy hold sell for Promedicus. I would hold it too. I mean, I hadn't looked at it in a while and I thought, you know, in this market, it's probably come off and the valuation might be interesting. It's still 100 times earnings. Yeah. Um, and it's not like talking about zero before, where zero is clearly under earning, they're investing heavily. These guys do 65% like EBIT margins. Like it, it's, it's, a, it's a genuine 100 times earnings. So I would hold it for all the reasons Claude outlined, but um, yeah, it's, it's steep. Yeah, okay, <laughs> got it. Thank you, that's number five on the list. That brings us to the midway point. Our stock of the day, Diverger, it's a hold uh, for Claude. It's a stand back and watch what unfolds for uh, Luke. Now, Swoop, it's a hold for Luke. It's an avoid for Claude. He just doesn't get any enthusiasm for a micro telco that's uh, rolling other companies up. Zero, look, uh, it's a high quality company, both agree. But Claude says that he'd look to get it uh, at about $60 or under. It's a hold again for Luke. He would look to get it a bit a cheaper as well. Um, now for Aerometrics, so Luke owns it. Uh, he would hold it. He is looking for concrete growth plans coming forward and free cash flow is important to him. For Claude, he's saying it's not dominant in Australia. So with all of these global growth plans, like where's the proof in the pudding yet? So it's just a hold for him. Carbon Revolution is an avoid for both of my guests. Promedicus is a hold for both of my guests in studio today. So nothing yet will be put to the investment committee on this program. You can watch that at osbiz.com.au. And looking at the portfolio, West Farmers Elders ResMed were added this month, shifting around the original allocations. And we'll give you an update on the portfolio's performance to start the week. Keep your requests coming and we'll continue to put those to the investment committee. 
At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Auto Sports Group, Smart Pay, Home Code Daily Needs Reads, Energy One, and FOS Capital or FOS Capital will be covered in the next half hour or so. Let's get to the first on the list. And this is for who's it for? Mandy. Hi, Mandy. I hope you're watching. Also, just a reminder information only, not financial advice today. So, Auto Sports Group, I actually uh, I forgot to look at exactly what it does. Luke? Uh, it's a car dealership, basically. Okay. Um, more higher end stuff than your yeah. AP Eagers and, um, oh, they actually, it's just them now. Um, look, I, I found this really interesting looking at it. I remember when it floated a couple of years ago, um, and it's, a, it, it's an example now of the market looking forward and pricing in what it expects to see. So as we see here today, it's a tick over 300 mil market cap. Cash and land actually backs a big chunk of, mm -hmm. of that mar market cap. Um, trades on probably a single digit PE, like rough numbers for me, maybe seven to eight times. Um, and, and so from today's numbers and today's valuation, it looks you know, more than reasonable. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's that market looking forward. I think the markets assume they over-earned through COVID with um, the bottlenecks yep. on new vehicles. And that's fair enough. Gross margins average between 14 to 16% and spiked up to 19% last half. Now, this is a business where, you know, gross margins shouldn't move that far um, unless you had some sort of um, sort of external, um, uh, you know, uh, things going on. Um, and then the big one is obviously the consumer. Like, you know, as we're talking about the start of the show, every macroeconomic indicator is screaming at us that the consumer is about to be tested mm -hmm. and consumer discretionary spending is about to be tested and you know these guys sell new cars yep. so you would avoid it <laughs> i would i would avoid it i would sit back and if i'm there i would probably hold it but it'd be a very careful hold it's not a bottom draw stock it, this is a cyclical stock so you've got to hold it carefully and watch it um you know if they can keep putting in good results i think and dividends will be a big one if they can keep paying good solid dividends you could probably keep holding it but um it'd be tough to step in and buy it today for sure. Would you be buying Auto Sports Group today, Claude? I def definitely not me, but, but the reason for the, that uh, certainty is that I've just made a decision with where I think that the macroeconomics are that I'm not having, I'm not having any, just last week, any exposure to um, discretionary consumer stuff anymore. Uh, I just think that that is like the cycle that gets hit the hardest in the kind of environment uh, that we have now. The costs for a lot of non-discretionary things are going to go up. They're already going up. And, uh, you know, I just think that even though this is, I guess, mostly high-end stuff, so perhaps rich people are less impacted by this kind of thing, I just think, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not having any exposure for that until we, like, see the cycle turn. Now, um, I just wanted to add one thing to what Luke said, which, which I generally agreed with, um, which is that even putting aside the, the finance of their sort of inventory, um, they still have a, about 100 million corporate debt, as I understand it. Uh, that's against about a 300 and something million market cap. So what you are doing here, like just, it, the low PE ratio, high dividend yields could easily make somebody think, oh, this is like a, a low risk investment or something. Um, but because of that debt, you're going to have a fair bit of sort of leverage in, in terms of the value of the actual equity. Uh, so 
yeah, it's not that it's not that low risk. Um, if something did go wrong, then you know suddenly it could it could look a, a fair bit uglier. Mm-hmm. I don't know how bad their sales will be as they come off you know a really good period, but you know certainly the most recent half was um, you know worse than the half before that. Mm-hmm. So that sort of short term trajectory isn't looking good. Um, you know at the end of the day, you could definitely just hold this through the cycle, but you just want to have an appropriately small position because yeah. it could get really painful. Uh, for me. It's not something that I'm interested in, but um, yeah, okay. just as long as you realise that it's kind of risky. Now, just, just yeah. quick, sorry. The the debt is backed by the land. Okay. Um, but of course, oh, there's question go. marks over what land values will do, and we've yeah. got a REIT coming up, which we'll dig into that. Okay. Well, let's get there then. Um, first in Terry's technology or SmartPay, I should say. SmartPay is coming up next on my list, not on my notes, but that's okay. Um, it, given your your comments about the consumer, would uh, that also mean that you wouldn't be interested in sort of a, a payment platform as well? Yeah, so that, that's right. And that's probably not the driving reason why I don't like smart pay. There's a, there's a bit going on here um, and, and a few ways to explain my, my reticence. But perhaps the, the easiest starting point is just to sort of say that, you know, this is a business that in the last um, in the last year, made about 2.7 million loss before tax. Uh, sorry, yeah. profit before tax. I beg your pardon. But that puts it on a P ratio of I think over 50 at the moment, right? So if you're actually rating it on a on a PE ratio, like there's a lot of good quality companies that are available for lower than PE 50. So the the market's kind of trying to say, you know, with that pricing, that this is actually quite a high quality business. And then um, sitting with this idea that it's a high quality business, you you have some huge, um, because these guys are basically in the business of uh, getting terminals out in retailers and and their New Zealand business they call mature and that's not really growing. So most of their growth is in Australia. Well, in Australia, they face competition, like forget the legacy big banks for a minute, but you've got got Tyro, you've got this company called Lightspeed Point of Sale, which is interesting and caught my eye because my pub used to use SmartPay because they thought SmartPay was the cheapest and then they changed to Lightspeed point of sale. And I asked them, you know, why did you change to Lightspeed? And they're like, oh, it was a bit cheaper. Yeah, okay. And, and I've spoken to people about this and they, and they think that the only cheapness is the, the cost that the merchant pays, but they think the selling point for SmartPay is that you put the, the fee onto the buyer, right? So when, you know, at some businesses, when you try and pay by car, they have a little sign that says, you know, you have to pay a surcharge. Okay, fine. You know that's still a thing that affects their business just because mm-hmm. they don't want they don't have to pay it themselves and because that affects their customers so i still think that there's competition in these fees and just because you're putting it onto the customer doesn't mean yeah. that you know it's like sort of magically doesn't count so, it's so i think that the it's an avoid because the bull narrative that has been told which is sort of what i just summarized then being told far and wide everyone believes it but i'm not sure how true it is do you believe it luke um, not completely. I, I'm probably not as bearish as Claude. I, I, I think I, I agree with his take on the competitive nature of the industry, and, and, and I've stayed out of this stock because of that. I struggle to see how it all fits in. Um, you know, you've got Tyro as, a, as an obvious competitor to them, but then just all these other players in that payment space. What's Apple doing there? Who, who yeah, knows? Square. That's what Square. I was thinking. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's what's kept me away. Um, the one thing I think SmartPay does well, and where I've sort of viewed SmartPay compared to them, this is a marketing business more than a payments business. Mm-hmm. And they've had success doing it. It's the way they market, as Claude puts it, they, they have their smart charge system. And it's why they market their smart charges. Merchants, you know, effectively don't pay for the cost of the terminal, gets put onto the customers. Um, there's really no edge there, as Claude points out. It's just the way it's marketed to these, to these customers. 
Um, look, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt though. It is genuinely profitable, like net profit and free cash flow. Um, you know, if you're sitting there and you're looking at Tyro, um, which probably trades on five, 10 times a market cap, I would, I would much prefer something like a smart pay. Um, but I, I generally agree with Claude's point that, you know, I think that, that competitive nature of the industry, it's, it's hard for me just to look five, 10 years out and say, where does smart pay mm-hmm. actually fit? It's there today and doing well. But it just moves so fast, that whole payment space. Okay. So I'd, I'd, I'd stay away. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, the thoughts on the consumer that we've been expressing through this, uh, this half hour, 40 minutes or so. Shane is asking about the Homeco Daily need, Needs REIT. Um, it's recently had a merger. So what do you think about the, that REIT when you consider that it's related to consumer spending particularly? Well, I mean, my, my major point is like, I'd struggle to touch any REIT right now. I, I really would. And I think some of them, you know, have really got their heads in the sand with what I'm seeing, updating the valuations of their of their portfolios. So I flicked open these guys' latest portfolio valuation. They reduced their capitalisation rates from 5.56 to 5.34 in the last six months. That's in a period where Treasury yields have gone from, you know, sub 50 basis points to four, like like 4%. I, I just don't understand how anyone is signing off that that you know, these guys could justify lowering their capitalization rates. Um, you, know, like you can get the Aussie 10 year for pretty much just over 100 basis points less than, than this, this REIT. Um, put that to the side, operationally, it looks okay. 99% occupancy, foot traffic's holding up. I go back to your point though, Nadine, this is a well and truly discretionary, consumer discretionary exposed um, REIT. And so um, we've, we've discussed it with a few stocks today. The market is screaming at us that these consumers are about to be hit hard and, and the hip pockets are about to tighten up. So um, I'd, be, I'd be probably out of that one if I'm there, to be honest. Whether you look at other REITs, um, my only advice would be look at what they're doing with their portfolio valuations. Mm-hmm. If you see some that are being very conservative, I'd be much more interested in them. I'm just seeing a lot of them you know, lowering their cap rates in this environment. Okay, so that is a uh, sort of a sector avoid, really. Mm. When it comes to the REIT in particular, Home Co. Daily Needs REIT, HDN. have a tough time saying that one for some reason. Claude, what do you think? Buy, hold, or sell? Uh, definitely, like for me, definitely a sell. I had a feeling that Luke might cover uh, some of the points that I wanted to make on this. But, you know, for for anyone at home that, that, that didn't get that sort of perfectly in their head basically uh, what luke's saying is that the valuations that they're saying that their businesses are worth are probably too high because basically when your um in, when your safe money options which is like government bonds or whatever is going up and offering a high interest rate then the real estate which is kind of can be compared to that um should offer a higher lit yield right because you're taking if you've like got a shopping center that's got retail stores in it you're taking more risk than that you won't get paid than if um, you're lending money to the Australian government. Uh, so basically the valuations should go down, not up, is essentially the point that at least I'm making and I'm sure Luke was making as well. So yeah, look, this looks like head in the sand stuff to me. I think that you've got to just also look at the actual dividend yield of, of these REITs and, and they're just crazily low for, for what you're getting these days. So. Yeah, I, I wouldn't touch it. I think this is probably one of the worst ones because it does have um, potential to actually, it's got really good times with its tenants right now. You know, retail's done really well in the last couple of years. Despite all of the interruptions, there's been JobKeeper and JobSeeker mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we've had this booming consumer. That's why we've got inflation. It's been good for retail. Like even when that changes, which I certainly think it will, then this is definitely not where you want to be. So yeah, no, this is probably one of my least favorite safe stocks. I don't think it's safe at all. 
Can I just make one more point? I meant to say this, sorry. Um, so Claude, I, I might have yeah, been a bit too high level. He's explained it well. So what the market does is that if the market says we think evaluation's too high, it just puts them on a discount to their NTA. So one thing I wouldn't do in this environment, if you're looking across the REIT sector, is analyse any of them on a discount to NTA. Because that's the market saying to these guys, we think your NTA is wrong. We're going to price you, you know, 10, 15, 20% discount. Um, so don't sit there expecting, you know, I buy XYZ REIT on a 20% mm -hmm. discount to NTA. That closes over time because that's the market telling you it, it may well come the other way. Right. Okay. So let's get to uh, stock on the list for you specifically, Claude. Energy One. Stephen writes in, the Australian energy market operator suspended the spot market in the national energy market. So how will this affect Energy One's operations? Could it potentially permanently change the fundamentals or will the regulation affect the company? So Claude, you know, give us your key points and again, whether this would be a reason to maybe lighten up or sell. Okay, so I mean, I definitely am not lighting it up. Like I actually just uh, slightly popped up my holding the other day. Um, or even like this week. So this is actually, I think you asked me what I've been doing this week. Well, this is one of the companies I had had a nibble at. Uh, so definitely not um, being spooked out by this. I actually kind of already knew the answer to this question. Unfortunately, the share price is so illiquid that the the uh, mm -hmm. one year share price doesn't tell us a lot there. But, um, and also the share price is now $4.50 4 importantly, not $6.40. Um, not. Okay. Yeah, not sure why that's there. Just a bit misleading, but um, yeah. So it's actually four dollars fifty right now. If you go and if you go and put it in, or let me just check. Um, yeah, four dollars sixty nine as we speak. But um, four dollars fifty earlier the week. That was the price that I had a nibble at four dollars fifty one. So um, basically, I did actually clarify with the CEO. Just even though I'd already talked to him about this, um, look, the reality is this AMO stuff. It can cause retailers to go um, bankrupt. Now, some retailers are customers of Energy One. And what the main reason that they ever lose business is because the customer goes bankrupt. So the questioner here is absolutely on point. It's the mm. right thing to be asking. However, um, you know, the CE sort of just wanted CEO just wanted to like let let us know that um, you know, they have a diversified customer base and they're not exposed solely to retailers. Like they're also exposed to the generators, right? There, there are other they are part of the wholesale market, not just one side of the mm -hmm. wholesale market. So it's not like they're exclusively exposed to the guys that are getting hit hard. Now, already at the EGM, they said, um, you know, basically, which, yeah, more stuff has happened since the EGM, but they basically said um, they don't have any material exposure to small retailers currently experiencing financial difficulties, nor do they believe that they okay. will. That's what they said publicly. So I don't think it is a big worry. Um, you know, certainly, uh, I think that this is one of the most interesting businesses because um, this one, it's like, it's much more looking, it looks way more like uh, a company that could actually do a life-changing return for me than some of these big quality companies where I've already been on the journey. Yeah, they're my big holdings now, but a lot of the, you know, we're talking about ProMedicus on a massive PE. Well, these guys are small, they're, they're little known, and they've got this tailwind in the, in the sense that they are expecting that the increasing transition to renewable energy will drive demand for um, their software but also their software plus service offering and that's where they're expecting the growth to come from in or a lot of the growth to come from because say you've got a wind farm a new wind farm you don't necessarily want to build like a 24 7 wholesale energy trading desk well these guys have that they offer that as a service so it's not just the software it's also the mm -hmm. people running these risk yeah. strategies now the the risk here is of course 
that you're a bit more of a people business there. So it's not quite as good as just a pure software as a service um, offering. Okay, so Energy One, you don't think it's going to be affected by this energy market uh, real crisis that's happening here. Bottom line though, to answer Stephen's question, would you be buying it at these levels or what are you doing? Yeah, so I did have a nibble recently at a little bit lower than the current share price, actually. But I wanted to make one last point, which is that because they've just done this acquisition, I think that the FY 2022 results, which are going to come out in August, may disappoint some people because I think that the profit will be lower due to the acquisition tumult. So and they've only given us a bit during revenue guidance. So there may be some disappointment there. We may see some more weakness there. You know, I'm actually hoping we do see weakness there and some people like um, push the share price down more and, and then I would probably be on the other, try to be on the other side of that trade if the underlying results are good, if it's just that the statutory profit is disappointing. Okay, got it. Thank you. Um, Luke, I'm going to be strict. Buy, hold, sell. You can oh, give me one comment. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll try and be positive because we've been so negative today. I think it's a buy as well. It's, it's a liquid, so be, be cautious with it. Um, Claude and I have covered this a few times. I mean, you know, people need a bit more info. You know, Google um, search for it on the website. Yeah. You'll see us talk yeah. about it a few times. Um, my only comment, I just want to back up what Claude said to Stephen. I, I think the, the question he's asked is a really good one. That's how people should think about companies in their mm. portfolios. What's going on in the world? How does this affect, you know, the businesses I own? I think that's fantastic. So, yeah, I th- I, you know, let's be positive and say bye. It's a double bye. All right, FOS Capital for Patrick, Luke. Uh, what's going on in the world? It is a, well, it's essentially a lighting provider yeah, here in, in yeah. Australia, so it's like New Zealand. Yeah, like a lighting retailer. Um, are I people think, going to be changing their lights? Didn't well, these guys are more in, industrial. industrial. Yeah, they're more industrial. So that speaks to the construction demand. That's right, yeah. So these guys need to win contracts. Yeah, it's not the world's best business, but I've got it on my like extended watch list. As a, It's tiny, like 10 mil market cap. Um, they put some guidance out there, which I have no doubt they'll miss. Um, but it'll likely still be break-even slash slightly profitable, moving in the right direction, probably just slower than, you know... It doesn't what... sound like it sets the house on fire. No, it doesn't set the house on fire. That's why I'm just sitting back and watching yeah. it. Um, for me, yeah, look, if you're there, hold it. Like, it, it's an illiquid stock. I think if you've got a position, it hasn't disappointed you. But, um, you know, like a lot of micro caps, they're small. It can mm-hmm. sometimes just take a while to, you know, really get things moving. So watch list for me. Um, but yeah, you know, they've okay. just got to keep winning contracts, which I think they've announced two or three in the last month or two. So that's what you want to see. Keep going, Fast Capital. Okay, what do you think, um, Claude? Buy, holds or sell? I, I probably do have to just call this one a sell now. I actually previously owned the business, so probably the last time I've spoken about it, I was more positive. Look, they, they haven't done anything wrong. As far as I'm concerned, the, they, re, they remain an interesting microcap, which with, I think, um, honest, competent management from what I've seen so far. The current settings are really unfavorable for them. Mm. What I would say is like a subscale distributor. So the thesis was that they get onto the market, they they roll up some other businesses, they get a bit more scale, and then you get economies of scale helping them out. Well, um, you know, the current situation with supply chain difficulties, inflation and all that kind of stuff, and now potentially recession, it all probably goes against them. So I just sort of see potential for short-term pain. Notwithstanding, I don't think it's the business's fault. I just think that it's sort of, Un- unlucky timing and it's just not like it had a very slim profit in the last half and i wouldn't be surprised to see that go to a loss now great all right guys we did hit not bad time either at the end of it all uh let me just run you through what we've learned so auto sports group it's an avoid for both of my guests 
And um, sorry, smart pay. It's an avoid for both of my guests as well. Luke says it's pretty much a marketing business. Home code daily needs REIT. It's a sell. So if you have it, get rid of it for both of my guests. Uh, Energy One, it's a double buy. It's a liquid though. Keep that in mind. That's from Luke. But uh, to answer your question, Stephen, uh, the consensus and what Claude believes is that it will not be impacted by uh, the national energy market operators suspending the spot market in the national energy market. And for FOS Capital or FOS Capital, it's a sell for Claude. You just heard why, but it's a hold. It's a wide range, uh, I guess, a, a watch list down at the bottom of the watch list for, for Luke from Meriwether Capital. Hey, Luke, nice to see you. Thanks for coming. Yes, Thanks I'll be for back coming for the last to the studio. Call. Oh, awesome. Yeah, Look forward around. to that. If you, anyways, we'll talk off here. Uh, Claude, thanks for coming, even if it's remote. We for look forward me. to seeing you in the studio. It's always great to get your thoughts, guys. Really great conversation, and particularly for all those small and micro cap investors, which, of course, we love. The small caps is coming up next. Stay with us.